Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. How we doing? We made it to the end of the year episode. I'm Braden Dennis, joined as always by Simon Belanger and Simon Today, we're going through the bold predictions from last year. Some of them are pretty damn good. I'm not going to lie. You, like Somehow, you always really kill this segment. Um, you got the crystal ball thing going on. So, uh, But we have, we have lots to talk about on that front. What was your general feel for the, the, the stock market, your portfolio, investing? I, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to put some words to it, but... How did you feel this year shook out so far? Well, I mean, we have how many trading days left? Probably, you know, maybe 10 left, but yeah. For me, basically, you know, buckle up and enjoy the ride. <laughs> I think that sums it up pretty well for the year. Yeah, like there's some weird volatility. Like there's this like distribution of a lot of companies that like had a lot of volatility and then like the big ones kept getting bigger. You know, it, it's like what they say in business, you know, never waste a good crisis. And the good businesses and the big businesses continued to get better uh, in the COVID environment and then into 2022. And so uh, I'm just really looking forward to not hearing about just such negative news all the time, man. We need some positivity, and that's what this show is about, some positivity. All right, Simon, I wanted to give a quick segment before we get into these bold predictions about my RSP and what I'm doing in my situation. I want to share this with listeners and kind of into exactly what I'm thinking and what I'm doing to be completely transparent, not only because it's entertaining content, I think, for the podcast, but I also believe that these actual nitty-gritty details with managing your own money, you know, operationally is really important. Yeah, it's not as sexy as talking about stock picks and bold predictions, which we're going to get to in this show, but... Um, let's go over, over my, my situation. So I just kind of want to candidly talk about what my situation is. I quit my job in, in May. My last day was, was May 10th or maybe it was May 7th. I'm forgetting now. doesn't matter. I worked as an engineer making good money. I'll get to that in a second. But now when I went off into the land of startups and, and doing the podcast and, and building Stratosphere, which is a technology company and and it's we're trying to build you know the platform for self-directed investors but that's that's another conversation um i'm not paying myself you know my my employees make make money i'm looking to bring on new employees i have i have guys that get paid in in stock and then they're going to be hopefully on salary next year so i'm building this business and I wanted to talk about my RSP here because I'm hoping to have high income even after my working years because I'm building this business. So aggressive RSP contributions out of the gate make very little sense. And there's, especially in this case, you know, when I'm not even paying myself. So obviously I'm not going to be contributing to an RSP. That is just tax disadvantageous. Um, so right now I'm, I'm keeping the, the payments to myself to the minimum. Now I could pay myself, but I'd rather have the money in my corporations to keep compounding the the two corporations that I, 
I'm a director in both and not withdraw on that because it's tax disadvantageous to do so. So where I'm going with this is I am currently, and I did did today as of recording, withdraw on my RRSP. Now, this is a bizarre scenario, right? But it makes sense for me to do so. Since I was working as an engineer before and, and I had Stratosphere as just a side hustle, I was doing over six figures in income in last year, for instance. So it made a lot of sense for me to do RSP contributions at the time. And that's where I've held a lot of my U.S. stock holdings. Now, just a year later, and, and again more, so next year in 2022, withdrawing on my RSP makes complete sense for, more, for my life and tax efficiency as I throw myself into the startup world, this podcast, which does generate revenue, you know, and, and just eating dirt and ramen to get by in the short term. But I just wanted to uh, speak on how there are nuanced situations where, in my case, withdrawing on my RRSP is exactly what I think I should be doing. Um, and that's, that is what I'm doing right now. Yeah, no, that's, and that's a good thing that people don't realize is when they have years of low income, it's oftentimes just a good, good time to start withdrawing on your RSPs because you're benefiting of that low tax bracket and you have that certainty. And we've talked about that before and I know it rubs some people the wrong way, but you know, there is value in certainty and being able to withdraw your RSP or some of it now, it actually makes a lot of sense because you're benefic- you're benefiting from that lower tax bracket when you contributed potentially, I'm assuming, at a higher tax bracket, right? That's right, exactly. And so now, you know, like I said, I haven't worked as an employee since May. Um, so it makes sense given my situation now, what I also did want to just touch on as well is the fact that I'm still meeting my goals. You know, I'm not withdrawing on my RSP and just giving up on my retirement accounts. Like my TFSA's max, I'm going to contribute to that regardless. I'm going to hit that 6000 a year. I hope to every day, you know, it, in forever, right? I don't, have, I don't have a timeline where I stop contributing my max TFSA contribution every year. I think that that is a guaranteed lock. And I am investing in my situation at high returns in my businesses that I have control on. I like doing it. It gives me a lot of job and career satisfaction by building my own companies. So this is just my situation. There are these nuanced types of things that come up where it's like, yeah, I'm a young guy, but withdrawing my RSP is exactly what I should be doing versus um, versus other versus paying myself from Stratosphere, for instance. It just makes no sense for me to do so from a tax perspective. This is the uh, this is the way for me. All right, Simon, let's talk about 2022. Um, but before, well, let's talk about 2021 first and then uh, maybe mention. I just said that I'm like, we're not talking about 22 today. We're talking about a year in review. And the, the first one that comes to mind right away is this year in the springtime, 
It, and in, in fe- what was it, February? It yeah, it was started, meme stocks. Yeah, it started uh, late January, I think, when the craziness kind of started. Yeah. The Wall Street bets stuff. Okay, yeah. So that was like quarter one. All you could hear about in financial media, even in really casual conversations, was the year of the memes. Yeah, exactly. So the year of the memes, I mean, if you we just look back, we can think about names like AMC, GME, DWAC, which is the Trump backs back, Dutch, uh, Dogecoin, Shiba Inu. I think there's Safe Moon when you get into all the cryptocurrencies as well. So we don't need to relive this too much, but it did happen this year. And just for context, GME is still trading at 160 plus dollars per share. Well, that was last weekend when I did these notes. So it's possible it changed a little bit. But for context, it started the year under $20 per share. It hit a high of 483 this year. It's just a reminder that we invest and we don't gamble. I know I'm speaking for you here, Brayden, but I know your stance on that. Yes, the allure of quick gains can be really tempting. I think it's just human nature. But, you know, it is gambling. You really don't know where it's going to go. And for the most part, these stocks, you're basically just trying to bank on someone who will be willing to pay a higher price than you and just sell it off to the next person. Um, some of these meme plays obviously have underlying businesses. I'm thinking here AMC, GME, for example. But the stock is up so much that the upside is really questionable, even as a turnaround play. Yeah, well put. It's like, well, I'm investing in this turnaround play, but it's priced like it's already turned around. Right? Like, where's, where's the IRR in that for me? And I, I don't see it. You mentioned there, GameStop, GameStonk, hit $483 and but started the year under $20 and trades today for, you know, a buck 60 or something, like 160 What a ridiculous amount of volatility. And this just goes to the fact that a lot of folks, a Probably I don't even want to know the percentage. It's it's impossible to really quantify it. But a large percentage of people who are coming in, they're making discount brokerage brokerage accounts. They have extra money. Say they had a bunch of money from government checks that were given to them, and they're like, "Hey, I want to you know, I want to invest." But what they're actually doing is just buying tickers. This is what I mean by buying a ticker versus buying a business. When I, when you buy AMC or GameStop during that time, you are buying a stock chart. You're hoping that it goes up on purely nothing but, you know, what speculator, speculators are going to pay for. That's not real investing. Uh, the underlying business is completely detached from, real, from the stock price. And so uh, that, was, that was all you could hear about. I mean, GameStop was a yeah. phenomenon. A real culture. Oh, yeah, with Wall Street bets. I think they even went, uh, the guy, the cat guy, I don't remember, went in front of Congress, remember? Yeah, 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 the um, (laughs) deep effing value. Yeah, that's it. That's it, exactly, yeah. Um, That's amazing. And a fun fact, believe it or not, I actually purchased something from GameStop while I was in the States because... All the Best Buys are closed in Syracuse, and we wanted to get a Nintendo Switch. 
there was a GameStop in the mall, and they still had ah. a few Nintendo Switches with Mario Kart, which is the game I wanted to get as well. So uh, my wife oh, and I Mario. will play together over the holidays. Do you ever play the uh, the game where you're you got to finish your drink by the end of the the Mario Kart race? No, but I've heard of it. It sounds uh, like a good holiday game. Oh man, you you got to mix that in. It's it's dangerous. You can you can really pile on the drinks, but that is really good fun. All right, moving on. Let's talk about China. Uh, Chinese stocks this year got there. Oh my God! What's Baba? Baba has been the falling knife. I mean, I, you and I both own Tencent, and it has not been a good year for the stock. I think it's. I don't. I I'm not going to comment on that. But look at Alibaba, for instance. I mean, this thing. As soon as you think it can't be any cheaper, or this can't go into deeper, deeper value. And you get guys like Charlie Munger buy the stock in size, like some super investors buying Baba like 50% ago, like 40. What's the draw? I'm going to look it up right now. What's, what's Baba stock? Uh, it's 125 per share. The market cap's 340 and it's down very sharply in the, the past year. Let's just say that. Uh, I mean, it's just, down 45% yeah, yeah. year to date. <laughs> Which is crazy for a market, you know, it's a, it trades at 340 billion in market cap today. So think of the absolute wealth destruction. We're talking about hundreds of billions of market cap erased from this business just this year alone. This has been a big story this year. Yeah, I mean, China has been a big story as a whole, right? Even on the political front, uh, now we're seeing it. I think it's on the news every single day with uh, what's going to happen. Is there going to be a diplomatic boycott of the uh, Olympic Games this winter? But obviously, we're focusing on the investing part here. First name that comes to mind for me is Evergrande. So we've had uh, some recent news about them. They're trying to restructure their debt, but it's still very opaque in terms of what's really happening with them. In terms of, did you say Evergrande like Grande, this like a Starbucks drink? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a Chinese company, so I really don't know how it's pronounced. I, I've heard so many different. I've never heard that. I've heard Evergrande, but you know what? I like Evergrande better because that means it's like a a big real estate company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we don't really know what's happening. Are they defaulting or not? I've seen some various um, articles on it. I guess you know it's a it's a just a good reminder of the risks of investing in China. And people know we own Tencent. I own the an ETF KWeb that owns a lot of the the major tech companies as well. Uh, but you know when China decides to take a unilateral decision and some on certain companies, they don't mess around. So that we clearly saw this year. We saw that uh, China also instituted a Bitcoin mining ban in May, and essentially all the miners fled China to neighboring countries or North America as well. Um, they've had unilateral action against Chinese-based company. You talked about Alibaba. We also had the whole where's Jack Ma after that controversial speech that he did in late 2020. He finally resurfaced in January of 2021 in a video. 
again, it's always uh, what you want to make of that video, whether it's legitimate or not. That's a discussion for another day. Uh, Tencent also saw some increased regulation aimed at gaming. And then we saw also the whole DD fiasco where China warned them not to IPO in the U.S., and DD went ahead and did not listen. A few days later, after the IPO, China said it had banned the DD app from the App Store in China due to privacy laws and cybersecurity risk. Um, my view on this is: Look, um, I think everyone's different with their risk tolerance, whether they want to invest in China or not. You know, it's entirely up to you. If you do want to invest in China, just be aware of the risk. Yes, there can be a lot of value you mentioned with Alibaba, but will there forever be a discount on Chinese company because of that risk? I don't know. That's a good question. Will there be a multiple expansion? I don't know. That's also a very good question. So it's something to keep an eye on. But uh, with the tensions we're seeing right now like with the West, um, I think it may be a reoccurring team for uh, 2022 as well. You bring up an important point where I go, Tencent, way too cheap. Alibaba, way too cheap given the assets they own and the just the growth profile and their monopolistic ways on the on their assets in China are incredible. And then you look at it and you're like, in what world do you see a factor shift where all of a sudden there's multiple expansion? Like, I can't see it right now. So if you are looking to buy Baba or Tencent and thinking – these things are way too cheap. I agree with you, but your thesis based on multiple expansion is probably going to be a dud. And I'm one that like, I am looking at 10 cent. I'm going, Oh, it's probably too cheap. Like I'm going to get some multiple expansion. Then I remind myself, like in what world do investors start looking at these companies and saying, Oh, that's not a risk anymore. Like I don't see a regime shift or environment shift where, these things actually have multiple expansion. I don't see a I don't see a world where that happens in the next five years, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know either, and that's a risk you have to be willing to to live with if you invest in China. It's it's plain and simple. Like I, I you know, there's no way around it. But um, now we'll move on to the next uh, headline. So it's been a roller coaster ride for high growth stocks and Canada was not spared here. So I have a few numbers and I know you updated one of them because of some information that came in today. First one is Shopify. They're up 30% for the year, but at some point it was up more than 50%. So there's been a little bit of a drawdown since then. Lightspeed, they're down 30% for the year, but Lightspeed was up more than 80% in September before the pullback and the short report that we remember that came out in late September. Obviously, if you've owned Lightspeed for more than a year, you're doing very well and good for you. The Chibo, which is up 3% for the year, it was up as much as 46% in September before the pullback. Nueve, up 64% for the year when I pulled this information last weekend, but it's way less now. I don't know if they're even up for the year. However, it was more up more than 140% in September before the pullback. Uh, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that short report from Nueve? The Spruce Point. Yeah, they're the same people who put out the short report on Lightspeed and 
they've had a mixed bag of results when it comes to calling out some sketchy activity. Like their, for instance, their GFL short report was was a bust. GFL's been a. I'm going to talk about that later. It's been a good stock this year. It was a good stock since their IPO. Um, but they they do have these like hit list pieces that they publish. They initiate a short position. They initiate a short position in in Nuve, Dropped the report. The stock was the stock opened down fifty percent this morning, Simon. Um, I I don't own it well enough, or I don't own it or know it well enough to comment on the short report. But my my question to investors is: if one bearish report that is not built on solidified proof, but mostly mostly an opinion piece, although they have evidence to back their claims as they should, um, if that is going to the business is going to lose 50% of its value in, in one trading day from a short report. It makes me question about who the investor base is. Like who has these paper hands, man? Like, like imagine you own a company and you don't own it well enough that you haven't even read a report and you're selling it immediately because it's down. Right. It's like, I have so many questions there. I don't know where to start, but we've, we've talked about short reports in the past Back to what we were talking about with with growth stocks. If we look at what the big winners were in 2020, a lot of them have had a very different year in 2021. A very different year. Like I can I can pick on the the obvious like stay at home COVID winners like Peloton, you know the the at home workout business or Zoom video. Just like the obvious COVID winners have had a really really tough 2021. And the reason for that is their expectations got probably stretched. Their stock prices traded at prices that probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. And uh, comps are really, really hard. You know, when you grow revenue at 300% year over year, and then the next year it's like, oh, we only grew revenue at 25% compared to last year. That, on the surface, that 25% comp year over year growth rate on the back of 2020, that might be an exceptional number. But when it's compared to 300% revenue growth, like in what world were they going to grow revenue at 300% per year, right? So investors, they get a little ahead of themselves. It gets peeled back. These are the natural ebb and flows of volatility in high growth stocks. And if you own them, I own a few of them, you got to hang on. I had a really interesting conversation with, with, uh, with, with a podcast listener this morning, and He's like, in my lifetime, I really want to have a 100-bagger. And I was like, man, me too. The problem is, is you don't know many people that have ever accomplished a 100-bagger because every single 100-bagger has the exact same story. You have crazy years of performance backed by massive drawdowns. Like, if you look, if you look at Amazon's period of time, like, they had this rise to this this heavily inflated dot-com era stock price and it lost 90% of its value and that would hurt a lot so you have these like very classic hundred bagger stories where high growth businesses the stock price can move a lot move around a lot based on expectations so just be aware of that if you own high-flying growth tech stocks
Yeah, exactly. I mean, Teladoc's one that I own that's uh, seen a big haircut this year. And what I've noticed too, a lot of the times is the market or analysts will make kind of predictions with revenues, earnings, and so on for the stock, even though management is guiding for less than that. I've seen that a few times. And then when management doesn't like, they meet the expectation they've set for themselves, but they don't exceed them, then you see a big pullback. I've seen that on a few growth stocks this year where you know analysts were predicting more than management was forecasting and that management doesn't exceed their expectation they just meet them and then the stock just takes a big haircut um so that's been something pretty interesting but uh that's now- definitely been a that's definitely been a theme for the year no oh, doubt yeah. um let's let's look at what we said our bold predictions were for the year this is the exciting part of the show last year if you go way back and you and you see that we had some bold predictions for the year. Some of them are absolutely crystal ball vibes, and some of them are uh, a mixed bag of results. I'm just looking here. Anyways, let's go through them, Simon. Let's let's kick it off with your uh, your first bold prediction from last year, and then discuss. Yeah, exactly. As a reminder, uh, this will was episode 55. I will put a link in the show notes if people want to go back. We're not making this up. I took that straight from the episode. My first one was bond markets will trail the returns from stock market from the stock market by more than 20%. And I was saying that on the heels of high valuations and I still thought there was either, you know, room to grow for stock but also I didn't I was very bearish on bonds altogether. So let's have a a little look at what the returns were in Canada. I took the Canada Aggregate Bond Index, so the ticker is VAB. It's a Vanguard fund. That's down about 5% for the year. I then took the Canada All Cap Index ETF, the FTSE, and the ticker VCN. It's up close to 20%. So I would say, obviously, I reached out in Canada. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That's ding. a winner. Yeah. And then the second one in the U.S., just to compare it. So the U.S. total stock market ETF, ticker VTI, it's up more than 20% for the year. Then the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF, ticker BND, that's down slightly for the year. So in both cases, uh, I met my bold prediction. It may not look that bold in hindsight, but I was also looking at the fact that the valuations were quite high back then and the fact that I didn't see much uh, return for bonds. So I guess um, I was correct in my my bold prediction. And it's weird because you said more than 20% and it was like just barely above 20%. What do you know that we don't know, Simon? Because this is, this is, we're catching a bit of a trend here now. This is the, what is this, their second, or I guess this would be the second time we do the review of our bold predictions. And you nailed it last year. All right, my first one was that my bold prediction was Canada's, uh, sorry, Canadian industrials. The, the sector will be Canada's best performing in the year of 2021. Now, it's not over yet. <laughs> Still have some more time. Uh, but it was, it was about middle of the pack. The, the in, that index returned 18%, 17.96% as of today, to be exact. Call it 18%. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a very good. The worst performing one was healthcare at 15.59%. Although be careful because healthcare includes like a lot of the weed stocks. So, um, oh, really? That's yeah. a really 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a really good depiction. But um, the number one was energy given, you know, off such depressed levels last year. Now, I should have... I should have been more clear, Simon. And, and I'm going to give myself some allowance for next year. I'll give you a half looked, win. Half win. Yeah, half win here. Yeah. I looked at I looked at, you know, what this sector's made up of and, and market cap weighted. WSP, the engineering firm, up 50%. GFL, Green for Life Environmental, the garbage business, up 36%. TFI International, ticker TFII, up a hundred 111%. Uh, on the year. I own all three of these stocks, Simon. My Canadian stock portfolio is up 46% on the year. I should have been more clear. Let me cherry pick the industrials I think are going to make up the best performing sectors in, in 2022. Um, but this is, uh, I'll, I'll give myself a six. Am I allowed a six and a half out of 10 on this projection? I give you a six. That's fair. Six. six yeah. Not even the six and a half. Okay, six. All right, fine. Okay, this next one. This next one. This next one's fun. Yeah. So the next one I did. This one I didn't really believe in, but it happened. So I said Tesla would hit one trillion dollars at market cap in twenty twenty one, and it did. Um, I didn't so really. We, oh man, people got to listen back on the show because you you really said Tesla's going to hit one trillion in market cap a year ago. Yeah, yeah, and it hit uh, one trillion pretty uh, not too long ago. Was this fall that it hit it? I mean, if you EV in general have performed quite well, but they've been pretty volatile. So if you look at the Cars ETF K A R S, uh, which invests in EV company, it's it has a mix of pure EV plays and car manufacturers that are investing a lot in EV. Um, it's performed in line with the S and P five hundred this year, but uh, since March 20, 15, 2020, so when we had the big correction, uh, it's actually up one hundred sixty one percent versus seventy percent for the S and P five hundred. So for people who've been in those names, they've performed quite well over the past two years or so. It's been up and down though for the years. Um, we've seen a lot of IPOs. We've seen the Nikola thing completely implode uh, because obviously it was a fraud. Um, in hindsight, I mean, obviously uh, I did not invest in them. I know you didn't either because they had zero revenue and just billions in valuation. But um, they're still getting investor excited and I think it's probably going to continue for the, the foreseeable future. Yeah, like Rivian going public at some bonkers valuation just kind of proves that point. Um, this ties in really well, which was... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we can both be correct. Um, I said that EV valuations, when I say EV, electric vehicle stocks, I said that they would implode in 2021 because there's just so much ridiculousness out there. Now... This is true. This is a mix because the EV stonks are still mostly ridiculous. Like I mean that people are just trading tickers. They're not actually trading the business. So um, let's go into some, some facts here. Nikola, that was a complete joke. It imploded. It's down close to 90% from the peak of the insanity. Lordstown Motors was a SPAC, an EV SPAC. That was a joke. That's down 85%. You got plug plow plug power and blink. These were stupid prices. Actually, I think they have a good product uh, from 
working with some of the EV charging companies. Some of these companies have good product. However, the stocks were trading at stupid prices. Um, those are down more than 40% from the high. The best way, you know, the best is when they say, hey, look, you see some article online and, and there's some EV stock. And how often do you see this? They go, Simon, this could be the next Tesla. Look how well Tesla's done. This could be the next Tesla stock. You don't want to miss out. It's like, dude, what? No, that is such simple analysis and so damn clickbait. Tesla is an anomaly, like an absolute anomaly. It is up more than 40% year to date, yet saw a 30% drawdown. So that's the kind of volatility you should expect. Now, Tesla, I do still believe, I'm going to say this probably till I... Ugh, this is why you don't short stocks, right? I would have shorted this thing and lost a lot of money. Um, I still do believe the valuation makes very little sense. However, I will give them their credit. Their market share is very real. Their execution has been fantastic. Elon has continued to get it done. They have certainly carved themselves out as the very, very clear leader in the space. That being said, auto is a very difficult sector and execution and building out this production and all they had everything they had to do with the with the battery capabilities it's extremely difficult so i will give them the nod of approval their execution has been unreal i've been wrong about their abilities however with ev stocks most of them like rivian for instance they're very unproven gambles and people coming out with an investment investment thesis saying Look, Tesla did it. Tesla's an anomaly. Not every company in auto is going to be able to have the execution that they had. How many Elon's very upfront about this in interviews. Like they were 2 weeks from being bankrupt like 4 times since they've been a public company. Yeah, it's it, happened it more than once. It is a complete anomaly. Yeah, yeah they had yeah. some big uh, big debt payments and uh, they were pretty close to not being able to fulfill them. It's a complete anomaly. So just be careful when you see clickbait articles saying that, you know, this is going to be the next Tesla or, you know, this this new IPO that is nothing more than a few PowerPoint drawings, uh, you know, a few renderings on a PowerPoint presentation. Be be cautious of that because auto's hard. I worked in auto for a bit. It's a hard business and making a comparison that, "Hey, look, Tesla's a trillion dollar company now. This this could be the next one." Um that's really an oversimplification of the difficulty and the execution that is required to actually gain market share in automotive. Yeah. And I think for the last thing I'll mention on Tesla, and I think a lot of people invest in Tesla because it's led by Elon. I think it's as simple as that too. Right. So I think that it probably explains a lot of the crazy valuation over the years. Uh, if Elon were to pass away tomorrow, I would not be surprised to see Tesla like take a huge hit in valuation because people believe in him so much. That's right. I could definitely see that. Moving on to my next prediction, I said that Bitcoin would hit $100,000 in 2021. Um, I can't remember if I specified USD or CAD, but I'll say USD because that's usually how I view Bitcoin. I, I look at it from a, a US dollar standpoint. So it did not hit $100,000 uh, this year, but 
you know, it had some good returns, and there's still time. We're recording there's this. Still, there's still some more time, yeah, baby. There's about three weeks left of the year when we're recording <laughs> this. So according to CoinGecko, uh, Bitcoin hit an all-time high of 69044 on November 10, 2021. Now it's standing about at $50,000 USD. Um, as of this recording, it's about up 70% for the year. It's really not too shabby in terms of returns com- considering how good of a year it had last year. And that's compared to 25% for the S&P 500 and 21% for the NASDAQ on the year. There was a lot of good news on the Bitcoin from this year, including El Salvador adopting it as legal tender along with the US dollar that they have. So they have both as legal tender over there. There were also some very prominent investors that um, say they're investing in uh, in Bitcoin. Amongst them, there's Ray Dalio, Kevin O'Leary, Paul Tudor Jones, and Mark Cuban that embraced the uh, cryptocurrency. Cuban has been on the uh, cryptocurrency train for a little bit, and he's not just uh, into Bitcoin, so he's a lot into uh alternate or shit coins as well and DeFi. Um, and there's also been celebrities like Tom Brady and Snoop Dogg that have embraced the space uh, this year. But there was also some major headwinds for Bitcoin during the year, which probably affected some of this. Well, I'm sure it, it did affect some of the price action that we saw with Bitcoin. First of all, I mentioned it before, the China mining ban. Second, there's prominent figures in the finance world coming out against it. Thinking Charlie Munger here, Jamie Dimon, Christine Lagarde, the head of the European Central Bank. And I'm missing a lot of them, obviously, but these are just some of the names that uh, criticize Bitcoin throughout the year and in previous years. Elon Musk, yes, Elon did some flip-flopping on the Bitcoin front. First, he put Bitcoin on his balance sheet and then saying that Tesla would accept it as a form of payment, then reverted back on that because of environmental concerns. A lot of people speculating that he had some uh, government, U.S. government programs that were dependent or potentially some pressure from uh, BlackRock, some big funds that own a lot of Tesla stock. Um Having said that, Tesla still had 1.26 billion worth of Bitcoin on its balance sheet as of September 30th, 2021. So that goes to show you something. And I have a hard time thinking that Elon did not know about the energy consumption of Bitcoin before he put it on the balance sheet. To sum it up, everyone knows I'm bullish on Bitcoin and I'll continue being bullish on Bitcoin. Uh, We might not be seeing... 100k this year but i think it's just a matter of time until we do there's no way he didn't know about the exactly about the energy draw it's not like he bought it and he's like oh i just found out that (laughs) this uses a ton of electricity to operate this decentralized protocol um yeah that's that's a bit of a stretch i'm sure However, I think that that's an important thing to discuss is, you know, I haven't seen any really good answers for why we think that it's a good solution when it uses that much electricity. Uh, But perhaps that's another conversation for another time. Tom Brady, I liked that because... (laughs) The goat. This this was, was, I'm assuming you're referring to when he threw his, was it like, 5,000 touch pass. 
He threw his like oh well, he had the laser eyes on Twitter, but he threw his like five thousand touchdown pass. I think that's what the stat was, and um, which is just ridiculous. By the way, is it how many did he throw? Anyways, I'll look this up. But what happened was he threw it to Mike Evans, one of their receivers, and then Mike Evans threw the ball up into this into the stands, and because the guy gave the ball back, because they're like Tom really wants the ball. Um, Tom gave him a Bitcoin. Oh, really? Okay. Retu- Tom, Tom gave him a Bitcoin in return for like, because I guess the guy could have just been like, no, like, yeah, I'm going to sell this ball for $500,000 on eBay. But because I thought he, he gave him like a bunch of other stuff too. I, I didn't see the he Bitcoin. Got, yeah, but he uh, got yeah. other stuff, okay. but he got other stuff. But, but Brady was being very vocal about, uh, about giving him the Bitcoin. And I thought that that was pretty funny. Well, he put uh, the laser eyes on too, right? So that was what I was referring to. I know what you're talking about. I didn't know he ended up giving him a, a Bitcoin, but... I just realized it was a six... I don't know what... When I said 5,000, I meant 500. <laughs> it was for his, but it was actually for his 600 NFL touchdown. No one has thrown... <laughs> Five thousand. Okay. I'm a football fan. That yeah, was I was going to say uh, you're blunder. the football guy here, but that uh, was just a complete blunder. I meant five hundred, but it is actually six hundred. All right. As for the last one here, I had uh, the bullet prediction that Fan Mag Megatech, which is you know Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Microsoft, Apple, Google. Surprised I got all those right. Uh, th- I said that they will be looked at as value stocks. In 2021. Now, this is hard to quantify, Simon. This is really hard to quantify, but I back it. And the reason why is Google trades at 28 times free cash flow and low 20s times free cash flow on next year estimates. You know, this is really reasonable price for a company growing as fast as it is and as high quality it is. I don't know if you can call them value stocks, but it has certainly been the place in 2021 where investors are seeking safety, quality, and some growth. I think that that is a statement that can be said with with complete confidence. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. I'm surprised you don't call them first like FanMa because it's Alphabet, right? Not Google. <laughs> that's right. And and well, it's also not Facebook. It's Meta. Meta. Manma. <laughs> Magma. Well, yeah. Oh, my God. But Magman, because we also have Netflix in there as yeah. well. Yeah, but I digress. I mean, no, I, I I would tend to agree with that. I think the one asterisk I would put on that is Google and all the big tech stock tend to get a lot of money infused into them just through index funds, right? We've talked about mm-hmm. the S&P 500 being market cap weighted before and how like the top, you know, the top 10, for example, represents such a big portion of that whole index. So I think, yes, people are viewing them as a bit value stocks or safe plays as you're seeing, but I think there's also the the whole index fund portion of it where they automatically get money into those stocks because obviously they're the biggest holdings of the index. So um, that props up their their price a little bit too. So I think for me, it's kind of, uh, I see both sides. Yeah, that's an interesting point with the ETFs. You get that fund flow dynamic from these passive investing strategies. Um, and I guess index investors have luckily been market cap weighted because those have been the businesses that have been winning as of late is these large 
mega tech companies. Uh, I I do believe looking forward that they are going to trade at very fair multiples given their runway still. And, and it's like, how can they be so big and have such long runways? And I'm going to continue to scratch my head on how this some of these numbers they pull off are possible. But value stocks is what I said. That's a bit of a stretch. However, what I will say is they are perfectly fitting into that growth at a, at a reasonable price, that GARP people talk about, growth at a reasonable price. I think that that is a very fair characterization of what these companies represent in the market today. No, they're not mature value stocks that trade at nine times earnings or you know, they're banks that trade at 10 times earnings and grow a little bit over time. However, they do trade at reasonable prices, and I expect that to be the case moving forward as well. I don't, I'm not underwriting multiple expansion on Google. I, I can't underwrite that in my IRR assumption because it's it's kind of goofy to do so. However, they don't even need multiple expansion to actually see some really, really good high double-digit IRRs even at these prices, and that's why I continue to own them and buy them. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And uh, everyone will have to tune in a bit later on. We're looking to release our bold predictions of 2022 on January 3rd. So we'll have to keep you hanging for that. But tune in for that Monday. We'll have our bold prediction for uh, next year. And I'll make sure to find some good one that are really crazy. So I don't need too many of them uh, next year. Yeah, you, you, you got to increase the difficulty here. <laughs> Um, because you see, you keep seeming to win. You got to say something. I mean, I thought they were pretty point. crazy. I mean, to begin with, some of with, them are pretty. Yeah. The, the Tesla hitting one trillion market cap. I didn't believe it would. That. Yeah, exactly. No, I think I think we both said that we it would see like a fifty percent drawdown and just like triple in the same year, and that's pretty much what happened. No, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. We'll we'll get some good one uh, for for you guys for 2022. So you can really tell us we're crazy with our bold predictions. Thanks so much for listening, guys. That does it for looking back at our bold predictions for the year and what was happening in my RRSP. If you haven't checked out Stratosphere, go ahead and check out StratosphereInvesting.com. We are building the absolutely best place for do-it-yourself, self-directed investors like the people who listen to this podcast. Uh, Shout-out goes to all our sponsors. If you're listening in Canada, you get you do, you do do get sponsorships to support the show. Shout-out to our sponsors and shout-out to the listening and, and helping support the show uh, financially from that perspective. That is a huge help, and uh, it is the reason we can continue to, to do the podcast. So we appreciate that very much. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simon may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.